Hello, everybody. Welcome to our Excellence Talks podcast series. For those who haven't heard of us yet, Excellence Talks is created and hosted by Christian Forstner and Murat Aydin and is a platform dedicated to publish inspiring and authentic content for viewers to create value for everyone who wants to find a higher purpose. Established to inspire, Excellence Talks cooperates with exceptional people and publishes energizing content on a daily basis. In this episode, we welcomed John Otto McGee, the founder of Contrasting Cultures and UnderstandCulture.com. He successfully helps global companies to collaborate across borders. John has deep insight into the cultural differences between Americans and Germans, and he wants to make that insight accessible to as many people as possible, specifically to Germans and Americans, where collaboration is critical to their professional success. And here is the extra value. His approach can be easily adopted to any other cross-cultural collaboration in any part of the world. This interview can be found on YouTube in video format as well. John, you are American, having studied, lived and worked in Germany for almost 30 years, and you are the most authentic bicultural person I've ever met. Well, thank you, Christian, for inviting me. And I've been working for three decades on understanding the Germans as best I can as an American. So thank you very much. Thank you, John. What's your basic understanding of the complexities of cross-border collaboration, John? That's a great question to begin with, Christian. I think our operating assumption should be that there are differences between cultures. I don't think anyone working in a global setting would dispute that. We know that Germans are not Americans. Americans are not Germans. We know that the Germans aren't Chinese. The Chinese aren't Germans. The Mexicans aren't Indians. The Indians aren't Italians. So I think we always have to begin with the basic fact that there are differences between cultures. And then the second question is, are those differences in critical areas? Now, there are many people that think that the cultural differences are all about how cultures use knives and forks or how they give gifts to each other or how they say yes or no and how they say hello and goodbye. Again, I think for anyone who's operating in the global environment, they know that the cultural differences are in foundational areas. We're talking about how cultures communicate, how they make decisions, how they lead and want to be led. We're talking about, for example, Germans and Americans and how they define what makes for a really good process. I mean, that's your area of expertise. And there are differences in how cultures define what makes for a great product. Take the question of quality. Germans and Americans define quality quite differently. So we start off with data point one, the differences, there are differences between cultures. The second data point is the differences are in foundational areas. We're not talking about how cultures use knives and forks. And the third data point is if these differences exist in these foundational areas, they have to necessarily, per definition, exert influence on cross-border collaboration. It can't be any other way. Now, if this is the case, successful cross-border collaboration or unsuccessful cross-border collaboration will have immediate impact on the bottom line. So my key point is to say that differences between cultures in foundational areas necessarily influence the bottom line. We're not talking about an intellectual, esoteric, philosophical, touchy-feely topic. We're talking about the core question, can cross-border teams collaborate effectively and therefore contribute to the bottom line? My statement is, of course they can, but they can do it best if they understand where the core differences are and how they think and therefore and, and how they work. Thank you, John. In your many articles on your website with your clients, you refer time and again to the three questions. What, what are they 
and why are they so important? Three questions, not a lot of them, but really critical questions. I think the first question is, if there are differences between cultures in these foundational areas, and they're affecting our ability to collaborate as a cross-border team, then the first question has to be, well, what are the differences? If someone says, gee, you know, German processes look a lot different than American processes, and if we've become a cross-border team or a merger's taking place, and we're in the middle of post-merger integration. And one of the most important things we have to do is to harmonize our key processes. Well, John McGee says that's not going to be as easy as you think. If there are differences between how cultures fundamentally define what makes for a good process, then you need to understand those differences before you even engage with each other about how to harmonize the processes. To put it really simply, you can't integrate what you don't understand. So the first step is always, or the first question is always, well, if there are cultural differences in foundational areas, what are those differences? The second question then is a quite logical one, and it flows right out of the first question, which is, okay, I'm going to use the example of Germany and USA, because that's my area of expertise, Christian, but this would be true for China, India, Japan, Mexico, Poland, Italy. Choose your combination of cultures operating in a cross-border team. I'm using Germany and USA because it's my area of expertise. So the second question then is, well, okay, there are differences. We're using the example of processes. What influence or what effect do those differences have on our ability to collaborate? Typically, they're negative. There's irritation, there's frustration, there's confusion, there's miscommunication. So the first question is, where do we differ? The second question is, with what impact on collaboration? What's the influence of the differences on collaboration? And the third question is then, again, quite logical, and it flows from the second, which is, okay, there are differences, and they can cause us problems as we begin to collaborate or harmonize processes. Well, now we understand the differences. Good. Let's start talking about it. Let's begin collaborating. Let's sit down with each other and look at some of these fundamental differences, understand their impact on our ability to collaborate. And then as adults, as professionals, engineers, marketing people, supply chain, whatever the discipline, let's sit down and work these things out and figure out how we're going to work together. That's what collaboration is. Collaboration is an ongoing process of deciding and discussing how you want to do things together. So always three questions. Where do we diverge or where do we differ in how we think, therefore, in how we work? Question one, what impact or influence do those differences have on our ability to succeed in cross-border collaboration? That's question two. And what are we going to do about it? How do we get these differences to work for us instead of against us? That's the third question. Is any one of those questions more important than the other, John? That's a really good question. Yes and no. Let me start with no. No, because you need to answer all three questions to really get cross-border collaboration to work. Yes, one question is more important than the others, and that's the first. If you don't have clarity about where the differences are, it's helpful to get together and talk about your frustrations and where you're miscommunicating and grappling, trying to find ways to collaborate well. But if you don't understand that there are cultural differences driving or causing those miscommunication or those irritations, no matter how good your intentions are, no matter how often you get together and openly talk about these problems and try to solve them, you're never going to solve them because you haven't gotten down to the root cause of the miscommunication or the confusion. So I'm sorry if I have to give you an answer that doesn't really answer it. All three questions are critical. They belong to each other. They're a family. They flow into each other. But that clearly the first question is the most important, which is, Where do we differ in how we think, therefore, and how we work? That's the foundation for the second and third questions. There seems to be a natural logical flow to the questions, John. Is there? Yeah, it's pretty much how I explained it. People are thrown into cross-border situations and a merger takes place or there's a major reorganization in a global team. 
And suddenly colleagues from different cultures are thrown into a team and they're told to perform. They're told implicitly or explicitly, you all speak English, you're all professionals, you're all global citizens, self-critical and open people. You should begin collaborating and doing it successfully immediately as if you were collaborating within your own culture. And I think that's a little bit difficult. I think that's the stretch for people. So I think inevitably in cross-border teams, they need to ask themselves and address these three questions basically on a permanent basis, not every day, but when it comes to the big issues of collaboration and certainly when they're experiencing problems, they need to go through this flow. Where do we differ? First question, what's the impact on collaboration? Second question, and how are we going to manage these differences so they work for us instead of against us? There's a natural flow from one to two to three. John, thank you very much. John, for many people, the concept of cultural differences is a bit unclear, theoretical, academic. Can you please give us a concrete example of a cultural difference in the Germany-USA space? One example? Just one. Please, just okay. one. I could give you 50, but my guess is you don't want to hear 50, Christian. Mm. I understand it when people think that this intercultural stuff sounds a little bit intellectual and esoteric and touchy-feely, especially when people like you and I are consulting very sophisticated companies doing very sophisticated things with a lot of engineers and a lot of scientists, and people crunching numbers. But let me give you just one example in the Germany-USA space. As you know, that's my area of expertise. But it's good to remind your listeners that these cultural differences exist no matter what the cultural combination is in cross-border teams. Germany-USA happens to be my experience and my expertise, but this is true for any combination of cultures operating in a cross-border team. So let's take one simple, basic, but very clear difference between Germans and Americans, a difference that has very strong influence on their ability to collaborate. And that has to do with communication. And I'll give it to you in a really simplified, black and white, almost freeze-dried form. Uh, Germans are are direct in their communication. They believe that you should say what you mean and mean what you say. Germans believe that you should use clear language, unambiguous. You shouldn't use euphemisms. You should avoid figures of speech. You should really cut to the core of whatever it is you want to communicate. And the Germans also separate more strongly than Americans do between person and subject. So it's okay for Germans in communication. They consider it actually to be professional and competent and effective to be quite direct in their communication. Okay, so the Germans are direct. The Americans, despite what people see in Hollywood films and television series, are actually far more indirect than most people think. And they're certainly more indirect than Germans. Americans don't always say what they mean, and they don't necessarily mean what they say. And depending on the situation and on the topic and who's in the meeting or in the call, Americans can be quite indirect. They can use euphemisms. They can use figures of speech. They can circumnavigate, which is kind of a complicated term. They can dance around a topic if they feel that it's too sensitive. And if you look at our three questions from the previous video, well, the difference is Germans are direct, Americans are less direct. Okay, good. What's the impact on collaboration? German directness can be quite frightening for Americans. It can scare them off. It can intimidate them. It can make them quiet. American indirectness can be problematical for Germans because Germans aren't native speakers in English. They're great at English, but they're never native speakers. So a lot of the nuances and the indirectness of American communication is difficult for Germans to decipher, to understand. So it makes the, the communication that much more difficult. The third question is, well, then how do you deal with, the, with this cultural difference? Well, it's pretty straightforward. I asked the Germans to try to be a little bit direct, a little bit softer in their language. And I asked the Americans to have maybe a little bit of a thicker skin and be a little bit more direct and not take things so personally. 
So once you understand the difference and you understand the impact of the difference on collaboration, it's not all that difficult to make slight modifications to your own behavior in order to make the collaboration work. And this is not asking anybody to give up their culture. So that's a basic difference, but it's an important one. The Germans are direct in their communication. The Americans are more indirect. Well, that is indeed a clear difference, John, and you took us through the three questions again. Thank you. Uh, what impact do such cultural differences have on collaboration then? It's sad, and it's, it's why I'm so passionate in my work. I want Americans and Germans to understand each other. I've been living in your culture, Christian, for 30 years, and my intention was to learn your language, to study the history of your country, to get deeply embedded in the country. I didn't think it would be three decades, but it's become three decades, and it's been three great decades. So this is a very personal matter, and when Germans and Americans or any cultures don't understand each other from the get-go in a collaboration, their collaboration will always be suboptimal. Uh, it can't be any other way. And so the problem is, is As I said before, German directness can scare Americans. It can make Americans feel uncomfortable with Germans. And that leads to Americans avoiding interaction with their German colleagues. Well, that's not good for collaboration. And on the flip side, the American indirectness and the usage of euphemisms and being hyper-politically correct is just frustrating for the Germans. It demands a lot of energy and brain power to decipher and interpret what Americans are saying and what they're not saying and why. It's exhausting anyway to operate in a foreign language. But if you add this cultural layer to it, it just becomes very debilitating and very tiring for Germans, which leads many of them to say, gee, if we could find ways to avoid collaborating with our American colleagues, let's do it. It's just too difficult, problematical. And that's the opposite of what we want in cross-border teams. Can we even assume, John, that the impact affects the bottom line? Oh, sure. This is a problem in modern day business. As you know, with your deep expertise in, in process harmonization and excellence, a lot of companies believe that success factors are only important if you can measure them, if you can quantify them. And that's true in many areas, but in most areas, it's not true. If we're mm -hmm. honest with ourselves, the most complex success factors in global companies are wrapped around human beings and their interaction. It's cross-border collaboration. So if you have clear differences between cultures, and those differences are in foundational areas, and those differences are not understood, and therefore they cause frustration, miscommunication, irritation within cross-border teams, then those cross-border teams, their performance will be suboptimal. Anybody who's responsible for a cross-border team knows exactly what the impact is on the bottom line if their teams aren't performing well together. That's not the job of a consultant for you or for me to tell them. Our job is to explain to them where the cultural differences are and where the impact is. If they know their business, then they know their teams. They can calculate or estimate fairly accurately what the negative impact will be on the performance on the team and therefore on the bottom line. So when we talk about cultural differences and we talk about the bottom line, uh, we're talking about a direct and immediate and constant impact on the bottom line. Now, these things cannot be calculated the way you would calculate how a factory produces widgets or pumps out cars, but global companies don't have to have exact cause and effect calculation. They have to have a ballpark or estimation of the negative impact when a cross-border team working on a new product is not getting along with each other. So, and I think most sophisticated people in global companies have figured that out and they're beginning to pay very close attention to culture and cultural differences in the impact on overall performance. John, of you often talk about right thinking and wrong thinking. 
that's a big claim to make, right? Can you give us a few examples, please? I can. And we're talking about the intercultural space, so cross-border teams and what happens when people from different countries or different cultures are thrown together and told to collaborate and to produce great results. Let's take Germany and the USA. As you know, that's my area of expertise. But this is universally stated. This is true for any interaction between any cultures. The French and the Saudi Arabians, the Indians and the Chinese, the South Koreans and the Mexicans. It doesn't matter. But my experience and my expertise is in the USA-Germany space. So let's take that example. Anytime a German is taking a serious approach to understanding who the Americans are, how they think and how they work, communication, decision-making, leadership, process philosophies, product philosophies, they're doing that with German eyes. In other words, they're not abstract or floating up in the stratosphere, detached from their Germanness, looking at Americans. They're doing it as Germans. They're perceiving Americans as Germans. And it's the other way around. Anytime an American takes a serious look at who the Germans are, they're doing it with American eyes from the perspective of the American culture. So anytime colleagues and global teams are earnestly and honestly taking a focused look at where do we differ and how we think culturally and how can we better improve our collaboration, they always have to remind themselves they're doing it in a two-way conversation as an American interacting with a German or a German interacting with an American. So it's always about them and about us at the same time. You can't understand another culture without reflecting about your own culture. And this is something new for people when they work internationally for the first time. The second point is, and I like to use the image of bell curves or Gauss-Corvin as the Germans would call it, and you being a PhD physicist will know all about Gauss-Corvin. It's very common for people to say to me, John, you know, you can't generalize about Americans. America is very diverse. You know, there's the East Coast and the West Coast. There's the Midwest. There's the South. There's cities. There's rural areas. We have a very diverse ethnic population. That's the history of an immigrant country, the U.S. And many Germans say, John, you can't, you know, generalize about Germans. They're Bavarians and they're the Rhinelanders and the Saxons. And we're an ancient culture compared to the U.S. And, you know, we have these deep traditions. And those statements are true. But those statements are not relevant in international and cross-border collaboration. They're relevant if two German companies are merged, or they're relevant if two American companies merge, but they're not relevant when you merge two companies from two different cultures. So I use the image of the bell curve. Yes, you're going to have a distribution on the bell curve. Americans, East Coast, West Coast, young Americans, older Americans, female, male, gay, straight, people who are trained as scientists, people who are trained as historians, people who are trained as attorneys. You have all of these shades of gray within a national cultural bell curve. Germans and Americans. But that's not what we're focused on in cross-border collaboration. What we're focused on is when the bell curves are brought together and we're interested in where they overlap or don't overlap. We're primarily interested in where the bell curves don't overlap. The third example I'd like to use is differences instead of commonalities. There are some people that are irritated with my approach. I, mean, I focus on differences. I don't think teams should focus on discussing commonalities because commonalities work for collaboration. I think teams need to focus on where their differences are. Now, this can make people feel uncomfortable. We don't want to talk about differences, cultural differences. Folks, you don't have any other choice. And in fact, once you engage in this discussion, you'll find that it's liberating, it's freeing. You'll begin to discover and understand where the bottom line differences are in the approaches to your collaboration. And on that basis, you're then in a position to talk about it as adults. It actually becomes impersonal at some point because it's really about how Americans think and how Germans think. And it's not about particular individuals. So 
you know, there are differences between thinking in a right way and thinking in a wrong way. And I hope those examples were helpful. They were, in fact, John, and uh, that all makes a lot of sense to me. But again, stating that ways of thinking are wrong is quite self-confident. Where do you get this confidence, this certainty? Well, maybe it's just a, a little bit of arrogance, you know. Maybe I'm just an arrogant, <laughs> self-confident guy. You're not. I've been working on this stuff for 30 years, and it's become so clear to me that there are cultural differences. But let's step back a little bit and look at it. I think we're all in agreement that there's such a thing as right and wrong. I mean, you raise children. I have a 22-year-old son. We teach our children the difference between right and wrong. We in our lives and in our choices and our behavior, including in our cross-border collaboration, try to understand what's right, what's wrong, and how we proceed and how we do things. Well, we're talking about behavior. Before there's behavior, there's thought. So if there's such thing as right and wrong behavior, there's right and wrong thought. So I think wrong thinking becomes clear to everyone. You can see that it's illogical. You can see that it's counter to the facts. You can see that it's counter to experience. I'll give an example of what I think is wrong thinking. Wrong thinking is when people say, there are no differences between cultures. People are people. We all want the same things. That's very true at a very basic level. But once you get into the details of what cross-border teams do, how they communicate, how they make decisions, how they lead and want to be led, how do they interact with customers? What does a solution look like? How do we define a quality product? Well, folks, that it doesn't to answer those questions, it doesn't help to say people are people. Let's not talk about culture because our experience and the facts tell us the opposite. There are differences between cultures. You don't have to be terribly arrogant to make the statement I just made there. There is such a thing as wrong thinking and right thinking. And wrong thinking is to say, cultures are cultures. Let's not talk about it. We're all human beings. We all speak English. Let's just begin collaborating. Very wrong thinking. I see and I think I fully understand, John. Uh, these statements you make, are they only in regards to the USA and Germany to their cross-border interaction? Or no. are your statements more universal? I think you mentioned other cultures during uh, your speech. Yeah. No, it's clear for me. And frankly, Christian, you have more international experience than I do. I'm deeply embedded in the Germany-USA space. You've worked in every region of the world at this point in very serious and very deep ways. So it's a rhetorical question on your part. And it's important for your listeners to know that John McGee is not making these statements only in respect to Germany and the USA. Those are great examples and they're not bad. The USA is the largest economy in the world. Germany is the fourth largest economy in the world with only 80 million people. But these basic concepts that I'm getting across are true for any combination of cultures or countries who are collaborating within cross-border teams. John, it is common knowledge that most cross-border combinations either underperform or fail. This has been documented in the press and uh, the big consulting companies have written reports on it. And in fact, they have services to help with post-merger integration. Why is it that global companies, all of them very sophisticated, do not address cultural differences? It's really quite shocking, you know, if you think about it. And Christian, you have very extensive international experience, more than I do. I'm very much embedded in the Germany-USA space. But it's really quite a surprise to read and hear about combinations, cross-border combinations, post-merge integrations that either underperform or fail. Because we're talking about global companies, major global companies with very sophisticated, capable people running them with the best intentions to make these combinations, these mergers, these integrations work, but they seem to run into the same problem. So I think it's a really legitimate question to say, why is that? I have a couple of explanations. It's not taught at the universities. It's not taught in MBA programs, and it's not taught in ex executive education that there are differences between cultures and that the differences are in foundational areas. 
They don't, you know, you can look at the curriculum online of Harvard Business School or Stanford or the University of Pennsylvania or the University of Mannheim or St. Gallen or INSEAD, some of the best business schools in the United States and Europe. I can't speak for Asia, but you won't see them approaching these topics. So it's not taught. The second point is, I think, political correctness is in play. Now, this has been a strong movement for at least 20 years. So we're all hypersensitive about making statements about people or cultures or ethnic groups. So I think there's a natural hesitancy and an understandable one in global organizations to say, we don't want to talk about the Germans or the Americans or the, the Chinese. I understand that. So that's, that's a reason. Another reason is, and we spoke about this in the previous interview, there's a tendency among many people to say, oh, come on, John, people are people. We're all human beings. It doesn't matter whether you're French or German or American or Chinese or India. Indian. Let's just all work together and build better cars or better chemicals or make better financial products. Let's not talk about culture. People are people. I think it's naive and it's wrong. And I think it's one of the main reasons why global companies don't address these differences. And then there's some practical reasons. People are very busy. You know, we're all under pressure to perform. And it's very difficult to carve out time within your global team to sit down and talk about these things. And then you add the, the time zone differences and you have some very basic, pragmatic, practical reasons why people don't take the time to talk about these things. And then there's another factor, which I think is at play. Many people think that it's all about corporate culture and not country culture. I consider that to be naive. And if you ask folks to say, okay, well, define the corporate culture of an iconic German company like a Siemens or a VW or a Bear or an iconic American company like a Boeing or a GM or a Walmart, I think you'll find some pretty thin descriptions of what they define as corporate culture. And even if they have some deep insights into corporate culture, if you dig even deeper, you'll see that, well, Siemens, although it's global, is embedded in the German culture. It's a German company of over 150 years, a company you know well because you worked with it at a very high level. If you take an American company like a Boeing or a General Motors or an IBM, yes, those are global companies, but they're deeply embedded in American culture. They're deeply American. So the idea of saying, well, we don't want to talk about national culture. It's all about our particular special corporate culture. This may sound arrogant. I consider that to be quite naive. It's the equivalent of sticking your head in the sand because they're not addressing culture. And then there's something that I call machine age thinking. Now, you're a physicist. You're a PhD physicist. You know technical people much better than I do. I'm a historian by training. But I think a lot of people try to run companies as if they're machines. And frankly, a lot of companies are run by engineers and technical people. They see organizations, they see the interactions between people as if they were similar to machines. Well, Christian, we're not machines. And companies are not machines. Companies are collectives of human beings who are trying to do things together. They're more organisms and families than they are machines. So for people who are stuck in machine age thinking, engineering, finance, accounting, Six Sigma experts, whatever the newest performance fad is, they're not inclined to think about, to think at a deeper level, a more sophisticated level, which is well, how do Germans fundamentally define what makes for a good product? How do Americans define rapid reaction, rapid response time to the needs of the customer? What does it mean to persuade effectively in the Chinese culture? or in the French culture, or in the Indian culture. These are complex questions that are not easily answered by the tools of the machine age thinking, engineering, and the natural sciences, and accounting, and finance. Then I think there's another difficulty for global teams. Because people aren't thinking about these things, because we're not taught these things, even when we experience cultural differences in global teams, 
and we have the best intentions to try to get clarity about them so that we can work well together, it's difficult for people to articulate what they're experiencing. If you don't think culture is a factor and you don't have any vocabulary for it, you don't really have a means to articulate it. And if you don't feel comfortable articulating it, then you just don't address it. And then I think there's, there are a few more reasons. Let me just mention one more reason. If we're honest with ourselves, when cross-border collaboration happens after a merger, or if there's a joint venture, or if there's a major reorganization in a global team and suddenly colleagues from different cultures find themselves in a global team, it can be the natural tendency among human beings to feel uncomfortable engaging with another culture, especially if there's some competition within the company. And there always is among human beings. So there's a natural inclination for Americans to recede into their tribe. You know, it's we Americans against those Germans because they bought us. Or it's the Germans who are receding into their tribe as Germans against the Americans because they bought our company. And when you're in that kind of an atmosphere, there's very little inclination or desire to open up to each other and say, look, how do you guys fundamentally do things? And can we explain to you how we do things? And then maybe in the third step, we can talk to each other about how we want to do this together. Understandable human reasons why global companies do not address culture. I still think they have to do it at some point though. They simply can't stick their head in the sand or try to run away from this complexity. It's there, it's a reality. It has to be dealt with and it can be dealt with in a very effective way. John, if this is all true, then global companies have a serious blind spot. Do you also see this as a blind spot? I think it is. Now, global business is very complex, so I won't pretend to know all the facets of global business. I know my piece, but my piece is a pretty foundational piece. And I've seen it across all sectors in the Germany, USA space, large companies, small companies. I've worked at all levels in, in companies, and I, I've recognized the patterns. And I think it's a very serious blind spot. And I think it goes back to the original question of this interview, which is, why is it that most cross-border combinations either underperform and fail? Well, it's not a lack of expertise in subject matter. It's not a lack of expertise in managing organizations or setting up internal processes. It's not a lack of resources to hire external consultants like yourself to come in and tighten up processes and improve how things are done. All of those resources are there, yet nonetheless, most cross-border combinations, most cross-border teams and global organizations either underperform or fail. I think, frankly, it's based on culture. And it's this what we call a blind spot. And it's a blind spot because these companies, as we just discussed, are not taking a serious approach at addressing this. They're, it's a blind spot. They're not looking at it. Absolutely. The definition of blind spot, yeah. Um, John, I think you said before that all you said now and in these other three interviews can be fully applied to any other culture around the world. So uh, if organizations anywhere in the world have these blind spots and realize there is a blind spot, what, what do you think? What should they, what could they do about it in your opinion? I think the first step is to simply recognize the blind spot and not be embarrassed by it. Who can know all about all cultures? I've been in your culture, Christian Germany, for 30 years, and I still make mistakes, and there's still things that I don't understand. And I'm sure there are things about my behavior where the Germans are maybe a little bit surprised or uncomfortable or at least mystified by it. So I think the first step is simply to recognize the problem. And the problem is our cross-border team is not performing as effectively as we thought and hoped. Okay, that's fine. Well, let's look at possible reasons for that. And I think when companies do that, they should consider what I call the third explanation. What typically happens when 
colleagues and cross-border teams don't work well together, when they don't collaborate well, they usually have two explanations with various variations and permutations, but it's basically two explanations. The one is, oh, our colleagues on the other side of the ocean, Germany, USA is an example, they're just not up to speed about how to do good engineering work. You know, we're just better engineers and they're operating and doing things the way we did five years ago. I can't tell you, Christian, how often I've heard that. So the first explanation is, well, our colleagues really aren't up to speed. They're not as competent as they should be, but that's not a problem. We'll bring them up to speed. That's one explanation. The other explanation is they're not really willing to collaborate with us. They're irritated because our company bought theirs, or we have a bigger budget, or the team lead is from our culture and not from theirs. And they're just not willing to collaborate with us. They're being stubborn or difficult. So you have those two possible explanations, incapable or unwilling. Well, my experience has been, I know it's been your experience because you have very significant international experience, is that it's usually neither one of those explanations. Most people from global companies are competent and they're willing. They want to work together. They want the team to be successful. They have bills to pay. They have kids to take care of. Nobody enters and joins a team with the intention of not performing. I think the major reason for why the collaboration doesn't work is what I call the third explanation, which is culture. It's culture, the cultural differences. You can have people who are competent and willing to work together. That's no guarantee, Christian, that the collaboration is going to work. It's the same in a marriage. People get married and marriages don't stay together. Nobody enters into a marriage with the intention of breaking up the marriage after five or 10 or 15 years. So when we talk about the blind spot, what to do about it, to answer your question succinctly and precisely, global teams should address that they're having problems. They should consider the fact that maybe cultural differences is the driver, and then they should engage with each other in a structured professional way to try to understand what those cultural differences are, which takes us back to the three questions. Where do we differ in how we think, therefore, and how we work? Question one. What impact or influence do those differences have on our collaboration day to day? Question two. And three, what do we want to do about it? How can we manage these differences so they work for us instead of against us? Question three. This is all doable and it's very necessary. John, fantastic insights and excellent examples so that everybody understands what you say, apart from the fact that you speak in a way that everybody understands. Very thank happy you. to help, Christian. Thank you for the opportunity. John, thank you again for sharing. Highly, highly appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed this podcast version of our interview. It was our interview number 38 to share knowledge from the best, to inspire the business world and get inspired. Please don't forget to subscribe to be updated on our new episodes. If you have any questions or recommendations, please feel free to reach out to us. You can easily find us at excellencetalks.com. I'm your host, Christian Forstner. Until next time.